And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 24. That's right. And we back. We almost can rent a car for cheaper. <laughs> we're sticking with the age thing. Okay, I see. <laughs> well, we're starting to get to those ages where they don't actually matter. Yeah. So we got to make it work while we can. I guess so. Marley's Marley, lit. I was going to say, Marley is like... We just did a live in the Creepinati group. Marley, sound asleep, whole time. Yes. We go to record, and she's like, like freaking pl- doing jumping jacks over there. <laughs> she's She has taken every pillow and pushing them up with her snout. Oh, Lord. Oh, now she's laying down. Okay. Thanks for the play-by-play. <laughs> <laughs> it's as if y'all are here <laughs> and getting annoyed by Marley, too. That is funny. Oh, you know what? What? We have some new Creepinati, speaking of the Patreon group. Yep. We have some new Creepinati members to add to the list. <laughs> okay, that wasn't awkward. Uh, I'm like, words. I don't know how to say this. <laughs> so, Tony D. Michelle C. Christine E. And Melissa B. So, thank y'all so much for being part of... The Creepinati, if you are a $5 Patreoner or <laughs> Patreoner, <laughs> patron, <laughs> that's, I'm just, I'm making Patreoner happen. <laughs> if you're a $5 more Patreoner, you can be in our Facebook group where we do lives. Donna does them all the damn time. <laughs> You'll get sick of me. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> Don't get sick of me. Don't leave. I want to be your friend. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, so if you want to join or you want to be part of that Facebook group, $5 or above. But thank you for everyone who has done the Patreon. Yes. Um, And for those that haven't but want to, we totally understand. Um, Oh, yeah. If you can, that's great. But we, again, totally understand if you're not in a financial place where you can do that. Yeah. In other news... Donna broke ground on her house. Yes. And the ground is still broken, but no (laughs) movement yet. (laughs) Weather, everything, blah. It has been raining so much here. Of course, when Donna starts to build a house. um, Well, her contractor's building it. She ain't building it. (laughs) No. I go outside and I sweat a little bit and I'm like, do you need me anymore? Because I got to go back to work. The AC's calling me. (laughs) AC in a chair, please. Damn. But, and Carrie closed on her house. Yay! Yes. So, I did not jinx it by, <laughs> I still kind of feel like I could jinx it. I uh, know, honey. It's mine. But, yeah. So, it came through Friday. The house was mine. So, by the time y'all hear this episode, I will have been in it almost two weeks. Yep. And by I will have been in it, meaning I'm not still yet stayed in the night there because I'm trying to paint everything. Yes. And then this weekend, move in. Yes. We had to clean, now paint, and that's a long process because you have to tape. Oh, my God. Look, painting sucks, but the prep and the cleanup, (laughs) I've thrown away so many roller brushes because I'm like, oh, it's used. I'm not going to rinse it and save it for the next day. Trash it. They're like $8 for a pack of six. I'm just going to keep getting new ones because that it's freaking so ridiculous. Funny. Yeah. I mean, like the actual paint brushes and stuff, I'm washing yeah. and reusing, but it's like, holy they. <laughs> so shout out to my sisters and everyone who's helped me clean. Tiffany, you too, helped me clean, paint, prime, whatever. Thank you, everybody. 
Why didn't you say my name? Because I don't like you. I want to be special. Thank you, Donna, for everything you've done. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you don't have to thank me. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. And what else? Will's back from vacation. Thank God. <laughs> Glad you had fun, Will, but never leave let's us again. get to work. Never leave us again. I find you. He actually needed a vacation from <laughs> our fucking last episode that was eight years long. Oh, God. Yeah. That episode was so long. He works hard for that money. Mm-mm. And we don't treat him right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Seriously. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Dang, that was short. Like us, join us, send review us, us. Like us, join us, review us, send us emails, and don't forget about the merch store. Bam. All right. Let's get creepy. Roll that beautiful bean footage. Does that still happen anymore? Uh-huh. Bean footage being rolled everywhere. Does <laughs> <laughs> that mean farts happened? I mean, it happens, I guess, to the best of us. Is that dog Duke still alive? Surely his son is or something. I'm sure his lineage is if okay. he's not. Okay. How did you remember his name? Girl, I love Duke. He always telling secrets like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, this took a turn. <laughs> okay. So, since we had the longest podcast episode known to man mm-hmm. last week, mm-hmm. doing a shorter one. So, I'm doing a haunted object. Ooh. The Dybbuk box? <laughs> Just kidding. Yes. We reincarnated and doing that again. Dang. No, that would just be deja vu. Whatever. God, see, I told you. I didn't understand this shit. <laughs> um, okay. It's a haunted painting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, the painting is called The Hands Resist Him, which creep factor, like... Off the charts. Yeah. Yeah. That's creepy. Mm -hmm. The hands that fed him. Well, that sounds good, but... That dealt him. He farted? The hand... What was it called? The hands resist him. Okay. Okay. (laughs) He said the hands resist him. (laughs) Well, damn. Duh. (laughs) God. Okay. So, the painting was created by an artist named Bill Stoneham in 1972. It depicts a young boy and a female doll standing in front of a glass-paneled door. What? And against that, the glass on the door, little hands are pressed uh-uh. against it. Mm-mm. Can I look this up right now or I gotta wait? No, wait. Okay. Oh, I'm doing it. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> okay. So, according to Bill, the boy is based on a picture of himself at age five. So, at the time, his father was in advertising, and so he traveled a lot. Like, that was the time where, you know, marketing, advertising, it was like Mad Men, almost. I mean, different decade, but whatever. So, the family was staying at his grandmother's apartment in Chicago to save money. He's doing his thing, but... You know, mm-hmm. um, the place was so small that Bill was forced to sleep in a closet 
with dresses, coats, and hats, and he slept on a mat in there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He said it was not like being in a room at all. It was like being an article of clothing. Oh, shit. Right? Like, break my heart. So he regularly played outside. Like, I mean, he has no room to, like... Yeah, he's like, get me out of this coffin. Yeah. So he played with one girl in particular from the neighborhood. Well, during one of these occasions, they had a picture taken, and they were kind of how it is in the picture, Mm -hmm. beside each other in front of a panel door. Okay. No hands. (laughs) He added that. So that's where the picture was taken. That's how... This whole thing started. Okay. I mean, it wasn't, like, his prized possession or anything. But, so, like, fast forward to, sorry, I just thought about it. Like, that was during the Mad Men time, because fast forward to 1972 is when he actually painted the painting. So, like, 20 years before would have been Mad Men. Sorry. All right, done my research here. But okay, so he was with his first wife at the time, and she had just wrote a poem called Hands Resist Him. It was about Bill's experience of being adopted and never knowing his biological siblings. And so at the time, they lived in California, and he was under contract with a gallery owner, and he had to produce two paintings paintings a month Jeez. For $200 like, each. That seems like a lot. Right? That's not a lot of money. No. And can you imagine, like, being a creative but having to paint no. two different things that's, like, going to sell? And no. Yeah. No, I can't. Because, no. I mean, any type of cre- – I don't like pressure like that. Yeah. The creative jobs, the sales jobs where you have, like, quotas you have to meet. I can't operate under those conditions. Like, yeah. that gives me so – so much anxiety. Right. But some people can. Some people thrive on that. And, like, it's what makes the world go round. But it gives me so much anxiety to even think of that. Yeah. Well, he's like us and procrastinated. And so the deadline was, you know, circled on his fucking calendar and he hadn't even started. <laughs> um. So he was like, wait a minute. I'm going to use her poem and, like, let's do this well he found that picture 20 years ago with him and that girl and creatively came up with this painting what he said the hands that he drew they were all of possibilities and he liked that you were left with the question are these disembodied hands are they dismembered floating there in space or are they connected to bodies like he liked where you would have to go mm-hmm. with this. He ended his contract in 1974 with that art dealer, but that painting was actually purchased by an actor named John Marley. Oh, I know him. Oh, do you? No. <laughs> he is famous for his role uh, in The Godfather, and he was a character that he wakes up to find the severed horse's head. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And all I can think about is you've got mail, mm-hmm. and he's like, go to the mattresses or mm-hmm. whatever. It's changed hands, and they resisted. No, I'm just kidding. Damn. Oh, I didn't write that one down. Just came off my noggin. 
Put it back in the noggin. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But it's true. From that showcase, uh, the art gallery, where John Marley bought it, there was a critic named Henry Seldes, I think. And he actually wrote for the LA Times. And so he, that was like the first press mention of this thing, this painting. Okay, so between 1978 and 1984, three of the men closest to this painting died. The critic in 1978, Garten, I think is how you say it, he was the art dealer. Mm Mm-hmm. He died in 1981, and John Marley died in 1984. But it's all, like, just weird that it's these people who had the most connection with this piece. Well, how did they die? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> what? I mean, but I feel like I you mean, could do yeah. that to anything. Like, it's yeah. like the six, six or whatever degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yes. Like, you could do that with literal. I mean, like, that cup over there. I could be like, okay, Donna bought it. This the person at Ross or TJ Maxx or whatever the hell you got it. Whatever. I don't know, that lip one. Oh. <laughs> TJ Maxx. But, you know, you're, like, the yeah. person who scanned it to her. The da, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just feel like you could make those connections for anything. True. True, true. But I'm going with it. I have an open mind. Okay. Well, fast forward to another, like, 26 years because it's in 2000. So, apparently, when John Marley died and stuff, he had already sold that painting, like, before. And somehow, it had ended up in an abandoned California brewery. And it was where it had been, like, been turned into an art space in that, you know, like, Mm. one of those things that only happens in, like, California or Portland or Austin. Yeah. You know? But it's there. This couple found it. Well... They got it, and they're like, how could this be, like, not hung up? Blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Which, when you see it, you're going to be like, the fuck? Because not something I would want in my house. Okay. When you have a haunted object and you don't want it, what do you do? Burn it. Never burn it. Sage it. Yes, but if you don't know about sage. Bury it. Oh, my God. Follow me. It's the year 2000. Google it. Okay. Sell it. Yes. eBay. Yes. Okay. Okay. Took you a minute. We would have lost the game, but you <laughs> got there. Okay. So, deep it doop it doot doot. However, you do that. I do it differently every time, too. <laughs> but yours sounds so good, and mine sounds like I'm saying bon appetit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, doesn't it? Oh, my God. That's great. Okay. So, In February of 2000, this painting appeared on eBay. And the couple said that it seemed to carry some form of curse. Because they claimed that the characters, the boy and the female doll, Mm -hmm. would move at night. Uh Uh-uh. And it occurred between 11 and 3 (gasps) at night. witching hour. Mm Mm-hmm. So... Sometimes the characters would, like, leave the painting, they said, and would be, like, shadows in the room where it was being displayed. No. Fuck that. Yeah. Also, they have some 
photographs. I'll I'll include them when we upload this. But they said that the girl, the doll mm-hmm. in the thing, but the doll, it has like a, it's called a drive battery and it's got some exposed wires in its hand. They said that in certain pictures that they took, it looks like she has a gun to the boy. What? And that he looked like he was being held there against his will in some of these pictures. But I will warn you that those are, like, low-quality pictures, and they kind of have a red tint to them. So I feel like, I mean, it does look different than it did in the day, but that's anything with, Mm -hmm. like, certain shadows cast on it and stuff. Yeah. But whatever. So they put a disclaimer in with the ad, and they were like, look, we don't have any liability if you purchase this. Damn. He also said that his young daughter, she was like four, four and a half, she would say that she saw them and that they would like come out of the painting and they would move and all this. And so they were like, it's okay. I'm like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up a motion sensitive camera and we're going to show you that nothing comes out. Oh. Well, they, he's, he said he saw the boy crawl from the painting. Oh, fuck no. That's ring style. Right? But I have not seen a video of this. So, I mean, take that for what you will. Yeah. And, I mean, it might not have even recorded. Like, he might have just been watching it and yeah. saw it. I don't know. So, of course, anytime you say haunted, yeah, beware... People like my bedazzled boo. He's like, oh, what? Right. So it had been viewed more than 30,000 times. Holy crap. Yeah. And what's interesting is that some of these viewers would write, like, leave a comment and stuff. And they would complain about experiencing supernatural occurrences after just visiting the site and looking at this picture. Dan, that's some Robert the Doll shit. Right. Don't speak of him, Robert. She's sorry. I'm sorry. One person in uh, Spokane, Washington, he told the Spokane Review, Spokesman Review, that's it, Um, (laughs) (laughs) that he reported hearing an exorcist-type voice along with a blast of hot air like you were standing in front of an oven. What? Yeah, like while he was viewing this. Another reported that he became ill while he was looking at the painting and had to burn white sage to cleanse his house afterward. And another one said he blacked out and felt mind control to, like, keep looking at it and stuff like that. So, by the time the painting was sold to a gallery owner named Kim Smith, it sold for $1,025. I was expecting more. No, because it was, like, originally, like, $100. Oh, okay, okay. So, I mean, it... The bidding war can't go crazy, huh? Yeah. Well, and this was, like, in 2000, that scene. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, now, if something happened, yeah, it would go into, like, tens of thousands of all these things. But back then, it was still, like, this wasn't probably as good as, like, Jesus on a Toast, you know, or Or a Beanie Baby. Oh, The Princess Diabini Baby. Girl, don't even get me started about those Beanie Babies. 
Okay, so Kim Smith said that they haven't, she hasn't, or he, I don't know. It says Kim Smith. Um, they haven't experienced anything really with the painting, but since they are now the owners of it, they get emails all the time of people saying stuff about the painting. Mm -hmm. Because, again, it's got 30,000 views. This went all over the internet then. Yeah. Because, again, people watch what you do online because it's forever. Mm -hmm. And it can be five years ago and something happens and someone finds it and it's back in the news. I know. I like I think about all the t- that all the time. So they Kim Smith said the weirdest thing is that they get so many freaking emails, and it will be like people saying prayers and having like quotes from scripture and advice how to cleanse the residence, and it was even yeah advice as to cleanse my residence from. A Native American shaman in Mississippi. What? I know. I was like, uh, well, I mean, there's a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it was like Mississippi. Like, what? It was like, again, people saying how they've been repulsed, physically ill, suffering from the blackouts and everything. And so Kim Smith put it in storage just for safekeeping. Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure if you get so many fucking emails, you're like, mm, maybe not. Right. Like, maybe I don't want it in my house even just for. In case. In case it's haunted or in case someone gets the bright idea to, like, want to see it and, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, there was a documentary filmmaker, Greg Gibbs, and he was filming a documentary about this painting and there's also, like, a feature film in the works by a Darren Kyle O'Neill. So, there's been a lot of shit around it. You know, it's built up kind of like Slender Man. Yeah. It's built up this following now. It said, Smith, now 61, has been only asked to show the painting six times. One of the most memorable occasions was in 2007, when about a dozen men, ranging from the ages of 14 to 60, came in to see it. One, I want to know how that group got together. Right. <laughs> Fathers and sons, maybe? Maybe. But she said, or Kim Smith said, 20 seconds passed, and it was just silence. And then someone said, that's creepy. Damn. And then, like, okay, that's good. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Okay, we can go now. Yeah. Supposedly, Kim Smith has received, like, six-figure offer for the painting, but turned it down. Why? So, right there, I want to say, um, that's mind control. Because who would turn down a six-figure thing? Like, to get rid of a haunting, haunted painting? Uh, please, girl. Well, and, like, I wonder, I mean, is it, like... On the low end of six figures or on the high end? You know what I mean? Probably low end, but I don't care. No, I agree. Like, I mean, if it's in five digits, I'm good with that. If I paid four digits, you know? Okay, so the eBay listing, this is how that read. 
When we received this painting, we thought it was really good art. A picker had found it abandoned behind an old brewery. At the time, we wondered a little why a seemingly perfectly fine painting would be discarded like that. Today, we don't. Oh, my God. (laughs) One morning, our four-and-a-half-year-old daughter claimed that the children in the picture were fighting and coming into the room during the night. Nuh-uh. Now, I don't believe in UFOs or Elvis being alive, but my husband was alarmed. To my amusement, he set up a motion-triggered camera for the nights. After three nights, there were pictures. The last two pictures shown are from that stakeout. After seeing the boy seemingly exiting the picture under threat, we decided that the painting has to go. Please judge for yourself, but before you do, please read the following warning and disclaimer. And it goes on to say about the yeah. liability thing. From that, like, so that's exactly what I had said, but I just wanted to, like, yeah. that's how they wrote it. If I read that, I'd been like, nope, click off. Right. I'm good. Yeah. So reports again started coming in from strange reactions upon viewing the pictures. This included people being violently ill or fainting, children screaming when they saw the painting, and observers feeling like they were gripped by an unknown entity. Mm -mm. One person that had commented said a new Epson printer that ate and mutilated page after page when the user tried to download pictures of the painting. What? Yeah. Fucking technology. Well, I was going to say, are we all going to get whatever now? (laughs) It is like Robert the Doll. And black-eyed fucking kids. Dun, dun, dun. I'll leave the... Light uh, on? (laughs) I'll leave the noises up to you. Okay, so on Reddit... You know how I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, this person said, I actually purchased a print of this painting from Bill's website. I put it on display in my living room, and man, that thing made everyone who saw it uncomfortable. This was the user user's name. Snooze my dog. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, he said people actually would stop coming over because of it. What? He ended up taking it down due to the... Like, everyone being like, dude, fucking take that down. Wow. Yeah. And so now it's, like, under some blankets. Okay. And another one. This was submitted two years ago by Metal Junkie 101 on Reddit. I'm just going to read exactly yeah. what he wrote. I'm sure a fair amount of you are familiar with the painting entitled The Hands Resist Him. It was painted, uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to go all yeah. about that. So he said, it made its rounds on the internet several years ago after stories started circulating about its supposed curse. After today's events, I'm not entirely sure that I'm opposed to that idea. Whenever I turn in for the night, I tend to spend a fair amount of time browsing the web on my phone before I close my eyes and actually make an effort to sleep. That was the case last night, but I was bored of my usual activities. I've seen all the good cracked... Uh, photoplasties, I don't know what that is, turned all the Reddit links purple, posted on all the forums I'm a member of, etc. I had nothing left to do. It was at that point, I guess, that whatever darkness lies dormant in human nature and sparks our interest in the macabre kicked in. 
That thrill-seeking instinct that makes us love and hate horror movies at the same time, it provoked me to start sifting through Google for the creepiest and scariest pictures I can find. The hands resist him, took the cake. As is the case with anything interesting, I saved the picture to my phone's gallery so I could share it with my friends at work the next day. Sounds like us. I work at Sam's Club as a connections associate, and the morning out and this morning I went in at eight o'clock a.m. Obviously, since it's in the morning. Sorry, that was me trying to yeah. put words into his mouth. Um, one of my closest friends, Cameron, works with me, but he didn't come until one in the afternoon, so I had to wait five hours before I saw him. Once he clocked in and came to the cell phone kiosk, I opened my gallery. For my little show and tell, I scrolled down to downloads, and there where the picture should have been, it was corrupted. Not the file itself, but the depicted image was altered. It looked like an extreme GIF corruption. Random pixelation, turning the picture into something completely nonsensical, bearing almost no resemblance to the original. I brushed it off as a corrupted file, looked it up on Google for him, and then we talked a little bit and went about our daily lives, like, at work. Yeah. It said, I'm sure the majority of you have been to a Sam's Club. Most of the floor associates carry walkies, so we never spend too much time finding answers for our, our customers. We typically wear the walkies on our back pockets as we have earpieces so the customers don't overhear your questions and conversations. That's smart. Yeah. That being said, we normally don't have enough for everyone to have an assigned walkie. So when I went back to lunch, I handed mine off to Cameron. When I got back, things were a little weird. I was tending to my daily phone audit when I heard a crackle on the walkie. Nothing unusual. People bump their buttons or sit on their walkies all the time, and it produces this noise. Sometimes it can go on for several minutes before they notice. That being said, I swear I heard in the minutes midst of the static someone say tim and i guess that's important part i forgot to mention i'm tim i pressed down on the transmit button that hung a few inches below my jaw at chest level go for tim nothing no response this also was not out of the ordinary oftentimes people would call for help and then when they got stopped by a customer they were unable to respond Mm mm-hmm So it happened again about an hour later. Same result. Nothing. The third time, Cameron was standing next to me. This time, I answered with a little bit more impatience in my voice. Hey, does someone keep calling for Tim? It's been three or four times now. Cameron looked up from what he was working on and gave me kind of a blank stare. And then he laughed. Are you okay, Tim? Yeah, why? I've still got your walkie, man. What? Mm Mm-hmm. I looked down, and sure enough, my earpiece and cord were still clipped to my vest, but there was nothing on in my back pocket. Cameron had never given me the walkie after I came back from lunch. Mm Mm-hmm. What the... I just stared down, trying to process what was going on. Cameron? Yeah? Someone's been calling me for a few hours now, but you don't... Exactly. What? We both kind of looked at each other, and it just kind of clicked for us both at the same time. Wow. But he's like, damn it, Tim, you almost got me. You didn't even crack a smile this time. And I'm like, no, I'm not fucking with you, dude. I swear. He still seemed to play along, but kind of hesitant. 
All right, so why? I don't know. You think the painting, maybe? He shrugged, and I dug into my pockets to grab the phone, scrolled to the gallery, and every single picture I'd ever taken or downloaded was corrupted like the image I downloaded that night. Everything. All the way back to when I got the phone. Fuck it. I didn't want to take the chance. I didn't even bother deleting anything. I went for full-fledged factory reset. After a few minutes, the phone sprang to life as it loaded up with the Sprint logo. A few moments later, after it finished booting up, that's when I saw it. I nearly shit myself. My phone was exactly the same as it was before the reset, but I had a new wallpaper. Those two damn kids were staring right at me. The hands resist him was my new wallpaper. Whoa. This brings us to now. I wanted to leave my phone in my car after I got home from work, but I'm expecting some calls. I don't want to miss them, so I reluctantly brought my phone inside. I changed the wallpaper back to my dark portal picture. Yeah, yeah, I'm a nerd, so we'll see if it sticks. Right now, my mind is reeling from everything that transpired, and to make it worse, my roommate isn't home. Like, wow. oh my gosh. When I was reading that, I'm like... Uh-uh. Oh, that's creepy. You know, because, again, static, and they say yeah. that voices can, you know, come through. But then to realize that you don't have the walkie on, like... Right. What? And I appreciate that his coworker wasn't like, oh, man, boo, boo, you know? Yeah. His coworker was like, uh, the hell? Right. Okay, so in 2016... Darren Kyle O'Neill, remember I told you he was working on that feature film. So he was investing, investigating about it because he wanted to do that feature. And he said, I first saw it online when I was living in Dubai. I printed it out and left it on the side table next to some other documents printed with the same printer. And even with the same paper. Anyway, I went to Italy for a month. When I came back, the air conditioning had gone awry. Everything was green mold. The TV, bed sheets, my daughter's cot, and clothing. All my suits in the closet. And the documents I had printed all green. But right next to them, the only thing that was perfectly untouched was a printout of that painting. Damn. Right? Okay, another Reddit. Okay. This is from a subgroup or subreddit or whatever, for My Favorite Murder. This was submitted two months ago by Jen Panics. It said, I've been listening to And That's Why We Drink podcast, which is another great recommendation if you like My Favorite Murder. They also do listener stories, and someone wrote in about a painting called The Hands Resist Him, and it's supposed to be haunted if you buy it. Also, you can experience paranormal things just by looking at it. Being the person I am and hearing the girl experience chilling things by just Googling it, I decided to do the same. Right away, I felt an eerie feeling like someone was sitting in the back seat of my car. I was driving alone, and I felt like they were about to grab me. It was 2 p.m. and on a bright day, but all of a sudden, the feeling went away, and when I looked back on the road, a deer bolted across the road, and I had to slam on my brakes. I've never seen a deer at act like that in the middle of the day since I usually run in front of cars at night due to poor vision. And in parentheses, it says, correct me if I'm wrong. So I was spooked to say the least. I also noticed that the 30-minute drive took over an hour even though there was no traffic. 
the episode they talk about this is the Listener Stories, Volume 17. It's another great podcast, similar to MFM. Mm -hmm. So are we. Um, But that is a good podcast, by the way. And it said, I know this isn't relevant to MFM, but I thought it was interesting coincidence and wanted to know if anything else has happened like this to anyone else. But I just thought, like, whoa, that's crazy. Like, world's colliding. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, not that I know her, but I feel like, okay, she listens to the same podcast I listen to, and she's having these experiences. Like, what? Okay, so I found Late Night Horror Hotel blog. In 2012, this person wrote... The first time I saw this painting on the internet, it creeped me out, yes, but it wasn't until later that night when my son, who was eight months old at the time, woke up in the middle of the night screaming bloody murder. Well, yesterday, I was YouTubing with my stepdad, and we got onto the subject of the paranormal and and came across the painting again. My son is now two and, sorry, is now two and a half, and lo and behold, he once again woke up in the middle of the night screaming at the top of his lungs for no apparent reason. This is not something that happens very often with him. I was just trying to do some research and see if anything else has happened about, you know, with people he viewed in. So it's just, like, weird that... Coincidences and such, yeah. Okay. Same website, same blog. This was another person. I was talking to one of my good friends from school, and she told me that after viewing a picture of this painting on the internet, the boy appeared in her dorm room. Uh Uh-uh. She said that she saw the little boy, and he approached her and possibly got into bed with her or stood stood at her bedside staring at her. She can't recall. I feel like that's uh, too... Yeah, quite different. Yeah. Yeah. She does remember a feeling of deep dread and the thought that he was there to kill her. She can't remember anything after feeling his presence in or around her bed. She said that her roommate was sleeping three feet away and her roommate didn't wake up or anything to this. She said that her class had talked about the painting earlier that day, so she went home and viewed it. Mm. Mm-hmm. She said that her belief is that she had a nightmare and believed it to be real. Wondering if anyone anyone else had similar experiences. Dang. Okay, so again, same blog. Around sometime around two thousand three, my boyfriend at the time and I were both looking at this picture online. We were on the phone talking about it and getting generally creeped out by it. He was in Michigan and I was in Illinois. Then at the exact same time. Freak wind gusts blew both of our back doors open, even though we were both several hundred miles from each other. What? Like, what? No thanks. Okay, so this is another blog, but it's called This Is My Horror Blog. Now, when I was doing some research about this painting, I entered the hands resist him into Google and my computer froze. Then the internet wouldn't work for me and disconnected, even though my partner was on his computer next to me and his internet was working fine. Quite a bizarre painting to look at, not something that I would particularly want in my house for decorative decorative purposes. I think I'll just uh, stick some flowers and candles. Dang. But how weird is that, though? Like, to have something... Right. I mean, I do get it that, yeah, I mean, it could have been a virus or something. And, yeah. You know, like, whatever. Yeah. Certain websites load slower or whatever, but it's just the... 
if you get creeped out, but then something happens and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Well, because I feel like all this could be chalked up to chalked up, chalked up, Mm -hmm. whatever upped to (laughs) coincidence. But yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah, totally. This is from Scarely.com. Okay, from Scarely.com. Something peculiar happened at the time that I have to document in this article. It took me a minute to take in the painting, looking at all the prominent features, the moods, the accents that make the painting so ominous and interesting. After studying the painting for five to ten minutes, I felt one of the worst stomach aches in my life, accompanied by a headache for the following half hour. Now, this could certainly be coincidence. I am not in the business of not being transparent. So I will admit that I get a stomach ache from time to time. And this was not necessarily 100% evidence of paranormal, but it just felt like the timing was strange. Yeah. That you get such a hurt in your stomach. Right. Sudden onset type. Yeah. Yeah. It said, I felt amazing prior to looking at the painting. In addition, I kept getting visions of the boy standing in front of that glass door with the many hands behind him. Mm -mm. Yeah. So, all of those little tidbits of people looking at it. Mm -hmm. What does Bill say the painting is? He said that the boy is either looking to the future or the viewer is looking back into their past. The hands seen in the windows are other potential routes and possibilities his life path may have taken or other potential lives that may have been, but he does not see them. His back's turned. Yeah. The little girl doll is his guide through life. Though she's holding a piece of herself, a battery and some wires, what what to her would have been the power of autonomy is removed yet she still stands and he said is that the first step towards her own life like her battery you know she's taking that out but she's still functioning yeah he said he was definitely not expecting the fuss over his painting but is not entirely surprised there had been the deaths at the original art show the fact that he put a lot of himself into the painting He says his paintings resonate strongly with lots of people by opening an inner door and even channeling through his art. And if that's the case, maybe something has been caught in his strokes. Mm -mm. So, are you ready to look at the painting? Yes. Whoa. That doll is so creepy. Right? Why is his forehead so big? I mean, he might have a billboard. He got a five head for sure <laughs> but look at the her, face and her eyes it does kind of look like a gun mm-hmm. how that is but also like a little bit like a bomb I or know. like a curly straw <laughs> yeah and like just a it's like a girl but definitely a doll mm-hmm. you can see but just her expression yeah her expression and is then like, like his expression is just so like he's peering at you and it said that their eyes can move, so, like, move around, and it does look like he follows you. Well, yeah, because he doesn't, like, have eyes, really. Yeah, and then look at the hands, like, how... Those look like are... real hands. Like, you know what I was picturing? I was picturing, like, Titanic style when they're in the, oh, yeah. like, the steam handprint, yeah. you know? I mean, not necessarily, like, pulling down, but just, like, a handprint and steam. So, those are, like, 
No. With like real like floating hands. That's yeah. not what I was expecting. That's how he said her. Like, are they disembodied? Yeah. Are they dismembered? Like, oh, just his stance. Like everything about this. Scroll down just a little bit because you got. She's got it zoomed in. Yeah, not what I was expecting at all. Would you want it hung in your house? Hell no. I got you a copy of it for your. No, you didn't. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. No, I would not want a copy of it. It like he's like, eh, weird, you know, mm-hmm. just because like he looks like Benjamin Button basically because yeah I can he see looks that. old for yeah, a kid. I can see that. Um, which I can see like him putting himself in that state, but also he's older, you know, whatever. Right. But it's the girl doll that is terrifying to me. Well, yeah, those eyes, her hair. Like, so it's, like, looks like real hair, mm-hmm. you know? So all I can think about is someone, like, putting a wig on her. True. No eyes, so it's hollow. She's got, like, the frown. And just, like, her stance, like, her how her dress comes out, it's, like, innocent. Right. But that's where it's scary because I could just hear her, you know, being, like, come play with me. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah. And then she'd kill you. With the gun that's in her hand. Yeah. Okay, it, it either looks like a gun, a bomb, or... Toothpaste. No. <laughs> Do you remember those Jumbo? Maybe that's not what they're called. But they were the little juice things that had, like, the little bitty hole on top that you would have to squeeze it. And it, would like, kind of looked like a barrel and then got skinny and it kind of looked like a barrel. Mm-mm. Mondo's? Yes. Mondo? Yeah, how the hell did you know that? (laughs) Yeah, Mondo's. It kind of looks like a Mondo with a straw. Yeah, I could see that. I don't know. So weird. You know what? She also looks like her hair. Okay. Do you remember on Home Alone? Like, it's at the end and everything's great and he didn't get kidnapped. And he's looking out the window to, like, see the guy with the shovel, like, meet up with his family and stuff. And the guy with the shovel like picks up his granddaughter well like when she's like walking around and stuff she looks real but when he picks her up to hug her like she legit looks like a doll oh my god and that's what she kind of looks like but like just her hair oh no i haven't noticed that ever in that Mm -hmm. movie but okay well i will put this on our website so if you dare take a gander but we are not liable for anything that happens no, I feel like this is a little bit of the damn Black Eyed Kids <laughs> and now... Mixed with old Robbie Rob. Mm-hmm. If we didn't have bad luck before, we sure are <laughs> tempting fate. <laughs> okay, now dazzle me with your true crime. Okay, so the story that I'm doing today is I'm bringing it back local. Oh, shit. Do you remember... Emmett Till. Oh, go ahead. The case with Stephanie Stevens. Stephanie Stevens? She was a nurse, and her husband died, and he was a heart surgeon. No. Oh, my God. Okay. So, this is, like, legit local. Okay. So, Stephanie was born Stephanie Tate in Bogalusa, Louisiana. After she graduated high school, 
she was she got married, she had two kids, she went to college, became a nurse. Okay. And moved to Hattiesburg and worked at Forest General Hospital. Know that. Like know that place. place. Yeah. Okay. Damn, I'm trying to rack my brain. Like, do I know? This, this? was actually an episode of Snapped too. What? Uh-huh. We were and, on Snapped? Uh-huh. And I remember when it came on because my sister and I would be like, oh, my God, the Hattiesburg episode's on. Damn. Um, Stephanie, when she started working at the hospital, it's reported, allegedly, that she would tell coworkers, like, I'm going to get myself a doctor. Yada, 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 yada. Meanwhile, she's married. I was going to say, wait. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So she meets Dr. David Stevens who is a prominent heart surgeon who moved to the Hattiesburg area in 1987 to start the cardiovascular program at Forest General Hospital. Really? hmm He had a wife named Karen and two kids. And so they just, you know, started building their life here. He was building that cardiovascular program. Yeah. Yada, 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 yada. So at first, when the good doctor <laughs> and <laughs> the nurse met one another they were like you know we have feelings for each other but we're not gonna act on them we're both married yada yada were can i say bo- yada yada again <laughs> were they both attractive um i mean he he was he's older he was like well older he's not that old i think he was like i think he was only like 56 i mean they're okay Okay. She was actually not super thin. So I was like, okay, he likes a girl with a little bit of cornbread <laughs> on her. I mean, she wasn't like, I, I wouldn't call her plus size. Yeah. But I was like, all right. I okay. see you. I yeah. see you, David. <laughs> okay. They began having their affair, and it would like, this kind of like secret affair. It went on for years. And. David's wife, Karen, always kind of was like, I feel like he's having an affair, but she didn't really know. You know, he worked these long hours at the hospital, that kind of thing. So she always kind of had a feeling, but she didn't know. Yeah. And one day, Stephanie's like, you know what? I'm tired of this, like, of nobody wanting to leave their spouse or whatever. So she decided to call David's house. Oh, fuck. Rule number one. Of being the other woman. Don't fucking call the house. Mm-hmm. And so. Well, she knew what she was doing. Oh, absolutely. She knew what she was doing. And so there's a quote from Kristen, who was one of the Dr. David's daughters. Okay. So Kristen, his daughter, talked about how that when Stephanie called, Karen answered because she had, you know, didn't know who it was. She Again, she knew that she knew he was having an affair, but she didn't know with whom he was having the affair. Yeah. And so, well, she does now. (laughs) Because, okay, if I remember correctly, I didn't find this in any of the research that I did, but if I remember correctly, they actually, like, she wasn't his nurse. She was an ER nurse, if I remember correctly. Could I say that again? If I remember correctly, (laughs) she was an ER nurse, and he's a cardiovascular surgeon who was always on call and all that. So he came into the ER a lot. Right. And it was clear that they were having an affair. Damn. Like, it was not a well-kept secret. Oh, fuck. So at this point, Karen learns, okay, well, now, one, we know for a fact he's having an affair, and two, now I know who it's with. 
So Karen confronted David and was like, it was a really heated argument. And so Karen got the pistol from the house and like ran down the driveway, like with it in her mouth and was like, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. Well, David was able to talk her down and convince her to come back inside. Oh my gosh. And while she was walking back inside, she tripped and the gun discharged and shot her in the head. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so she was immediately taken to the hospital and she was paralyzed like from the neck down from it was in basically, I don't know if it was like just a pure coma or it was medically induced. I'm not sure. Yeah. She's in a coma for about two months and then just one night in the hospital just died. Oh my God. And so Karen's death was ruled a suicide, even though David strongly objected because he felt like it should be ruled an accidental death because You know, he had talked her out of it. She was coming back inside and tripped and the gun went off. And my biggest fear of anything, like when you see people on like YouTube where they do like they scale buildings and they're Mm -hmm. like, woo, and it's like, no, what if a piece of that, like it's an old building and like Mm -hmm. the like pebble moves and then I know, I know, no, yep. Although I will say that one article I read kind of alluded not kind of they said that stephanie was well said it was she was on call the night at the hospital that karen passed in the icu so i don't know that's a that's i don't remember that being that part being on the snapped episode it's been a long it was like 2005 that the snapped episode was on so i'm not i don't remember any of this from the episode and i didn't go back and watch it because I wanted to do this from different articles and kind of what I remember the story, not just regurgitate. Yeah. Snapped. So obviously David's distraught, you know, and he's got some depression and guilt and all of that because she found out he was having an affair. Yeah. Who it was for sure, found out for sure he was having an affair, who it was with, was attempting suicide, aborted mission, and then yeah. accidentally out of suicide if that's kind of i mean i know that's not you know and so you know he was obviously sad but just like a couple of months after his wife died he started dating stephanie like openly dating her just like months after his wife died which though i will play devil's advocate here though they had been seeing each other for how long oh years so you know what i mean like and every I know, and but it, and it's so hard for me to wrap my head around the like everybody mourns differently. I was trying to think of the country song, but you know how some people, when they are in a bad breakup and they're heartbroken or whatever, they find comfort or what have you in another partner, yeah, and have sex with the stranger or whatever, yeah, with some with a friend that's comforting them, what you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like I get that to an extent. But on the other hand, I'm just like, if you're that distraught, how can you find comfort in another partner? And again, this is me. And I totally, yeah. again, I get that everyone mourns differently, but that's not how I mourn. I eat, you know. <laughs> well, um, but I So think, it's just hard for me to wrap my brain around that. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. But, no, no, sorry. Sorry to interrupt, but here we go. I think just my interpretation. Mm-hmm. 
which is always right, but um, <laughs> allegedly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like he mourned her like a little bit, like 20%, but his distraughtness, if that's a word, was that he caused this. Oh, absolutely. So it wasn't really like, yeah, she's passed and like that's sad because yes. he did love her at. One Some point, point, yeah, and they, blah, blah, mother blah. of his children, that kind yeah. of thing. But that, like, I can see, I can understand how he could be like, oh, my God, woe is me because I caused this blah, 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 blah. But on the other hand, you're in love with this other person. Yeah. And then you're finally free. Like, that he was going to ultimately yeah. do later. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's different than if he wasn't having an affair and he was like true 100 on her and then she died and then he's like really dating someone like mm-hmm. random like they yeah. have a huge history it's true so david and stephanie got married in 1997 so this was i'm not sure what month it was but it was like literally the very next year so i don't know if it was like yeah. Ten months later, or if it was actually like a full year. But right after they got married, David had a stroke. And so he was hospitalized and obviously had to miss some work, all that stuff. But he yeah. lost some of his eyesight. And so he couldn't do surgeries anymore. Oh, fuck. Oh, shit. I forgot this is true crime. So something's going to happen. I think you even told me and I forgot because I've am i been up in this story. Yeah. Okay. Like, legit. I was just thinking about his wife and all of that and not thinking about what's going to happen next. Damn. So, in 1998, David starts to get sick from symptoms of hepatitis C. And so, he had been diagnosed with hepatitis C years before, but he was asymptomatic. So, he wouldn't have any, I mean, he wouldn't have any symptoms. Okay. And so, basically, like, as long as he wasn't having symptoms, he was healthy and could still practice medicine as a physician. He couldn't do the surgeries because of his eyes, but he could still practice medicine as a physician. Well, around that time, too, he was diagnosed with diabetes. And, you know, he had a lot of issues with his diabetes. It was not well controlled because he would not followed the diet, and didn't take care of himself. And so... Doctors make the worst patients. Right. And so his diabetes was, even though it was like type 2 and all, and those don't typically need the insulin pump. It's usually the type 1, which is the one that you get when you're young, whereas type 2, you're an adult. So with type 1, like my sister has type 1, and she's had an insulin pump for like almost 20 years. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what, yeah, I mean, legit, at least 15. Anyway, he had an insulin pump, too, that he could administer. Like, my sister's is so freaking cool now. She has, like, because insulin pump, you don't have to stick yourself all the time. Yeah. So, she hers is, like, connected to this Bluetooth thing, and she can just, like, bloop, bloop, and, like, read her blood sugar immediately. She didn't have to stick her finger anymore. Dang. And... And then she just, on her little machine, says, boop, 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 how many units of insulin she wants, and it just gives it to her. Dang. And so, like, every few days, she has to change the, like, port, but you just, like, 
stick it on your skin and the little needle like sticks in and just stays there. And so it doesn't hurt. It doesn't move around. So yeah. it's like one stick a week versus yeah. five, six a day. You know, anyway. So, so his diabetes is really out of control and a hot mess. So his hepatitis C symptoms started getting worse and worse. And so they started treating him with interferon, which is, doesn't matter, um, <laughs> but to slow the progression. But what happened is the interferon therapy actually caused such severe liver damage that he had to be put on the transplant list. Golly. And so because of the hepatitis well, I will say this, because I was going to say, because of the hepatitis, he was no longer able to practice as a treating physician. I read that in some places. Another another place said that just the illnesses had taken their toll, and so he wasn't able to work. I'm not sure. I, I don't actually know the rules to know to say, like, oh, he was he had active hepatitis C, so he yeah. couldn't practice. You know? Yeah. I, I'm not sure. But I w- just to kind of give you both sides. So he started drawing disability from his one of his insurance policies, and then he requested a job at one of his previous employers, Hasbro Clinic, and said, like, hey, can I continue practicing but not be a treating physician, basically sit in a room and read studies, basically review charts. Okay. And they were like, well, you can't have a full-time position, but we'll give you a part-time position to do it. Position, not physician. <laughs> so he got a part-time position. God dang it. <laughs> a part-time position. And so he's working now, but his monthly salary dropped from $50,000 a month to six. I can't even comprehend that he made $50,000. A month. A month to begin with. Mm-hmm. But then went to six thousand, mm-hmm. which is still a shit oh, ton of money. Which is still like, can I please make that? That is like a hundred thousand dollars a year. Oh my god, please! Yeah, that's a shit ton of money. Oh my gosh! Wow. Um, yeah. So that was in two thousand. In two thousand one, Stephanie's health started to, to deteriorate. She had pretty bad Crohn's. And so she was having a lot of issues with that. And then, which is like an intestinal, like, stomach. It's more complicated than that. But basically, it's severe gastrointestinal type issues. Anyway. And then she was in a car wreck, which she fractured her hip from the car wreck. And so she couldn't. It just impacted her mobility. And so she wasn't able to work anymore either. So now they're both unable to work. He's doing part, he's got a little part-time gig. So they hired a nanny because Stephanie had two younger kids. And so they hired a nanny and then they just said a medical professional, one thing said, to kind of take care of him. So this is, like I said, about the time where he has to get on the organ transplant list at Oshner's Hospital in New Orleans. Okay. His diabetes continues to be out of control. So he's doing the pump thing. And then... On May 1st, 2001, Stephanie woke up and she found that David was lying next to her lifeless. And so she's like, oh, my God, you know what happened? She wait, you know, she's like feeling him and he feels cool to the touch. But, you know, she's a nurse, but she's just like, "Okay, he's 
cool to the touch, so he's gone, and she just lays there with him, like, bawling, crying. Oh, my God, I cannot remember what you said. Like, do you remember the case? And now I don't know where this is going. So this is a quote from Stephanie. She says, I woke up, and when I sat up in bed, I saw him. He was purple in the face, and I got up and ran to the other side and pulled the covers back, and he was blue and not breathing. It was obvious he was dead and had been dead. He was cool. I just lay there and cried, put my head on his chest, and cried. So, of course, as we learned last episode, (laughs) anytime there's a death outside of the hospital, it has to be investigated, right? Right. And so, the coroner, Butch Benedict. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He's been the coroner here forever. Forever. So, anyway, so he said that when he first got there, it was like, okay, this guy died in his sleep. You know, he was laying on his back. His arms were crossing his chest. His insulin pump strapped to his side. And he was like, all right, this is an open and shut case. Yeah. But then all of a sudden. Oh, shit. But wait, there's more. Stephanie is like, hey, we need to get the insulin vials out of his pump. We need to get the insulin vials out of his pump. Like, oh, fuck. Ask a couple of times and seemed pretty hurried to get the little, the little vial of insulin that stays in the pump. And so as part of the regular kind of follow-up investigation, they draw a couple of vials of blood to send off for blood tests. You know, at first... The physician had that he had died as a result of natural causes from end-stage liver failure. Yeah. Because, you know, really, technically, there were no signs of foul play. It was a little odd that she wanted to get the insulin vials out, but or a vial. I don't know how many is in there. I think just one. But anyway, so they were like, you know, maybe there was a malfunction with the insulin pump, but, you know, everything seems to kind of be okay. But they, you know, still had the, the blood draw and all of that. Yeah. Well, after they got, they finally got the lab report back, they found a chemical in his blood. I'm going to butcher this word, okay? Okay. Ladonazine. And so that is like a hypnotic anesthetic drug used in anesthesia. And so when they got the lab report back and they found that chemical drug in him, they were like, uh, skirt. Something ain't right. So on June 1st, 2001, is when the Hasbro Police Department went to her home and met with with Stephanie just to kind of see, you know, what she said, how could these drugs have gotten into its system, that sort of thing. And so the Hasbro Police Department is investigating, like, they're subpoenaing phone records, bank information, David's medical records. And then on June 25th, 2001, they got a judge to sign to have his body exhumed for, like, a full autopsy. Fuck. So Kristen, David's daughter, said that when she—she was living in North Carolina at the time, and that when she found out, she immediately came home because she was—well, duh, her father passed. But she knew that there was some foul play somewhere immediately. Yeah. And she said that when—she was like, I don't buy her story because— she says that when Stephanie married David, Stephanie knew that he was sick and that she thinks that she married him to get his money oh. and that he didn't die quickly enough. And that, mm. you know, she's like, I think that he did something. She did something. His daughter, Kristen, said that she felt like it was really weird, too, that like 
just 24 hours or not even after he had died when she went to the house, Stephanie had like all these financial papers like laid out on the bed and was like going through them and was like, okay, this is so, you know, fucked up. Something's up. And so, okay, so they exhumed his body. And they diagnosed him, or they, not diagnosed, but they put the cause of death at the ladonazine overdose and also etamidate toxicity, which is apparently like, it's probably etamidate, but you know, I don't know how to say shit. <laughs> I don't know if like one's, I've seen both of those words there. I don't really understand how that works because I'm not a pharmacist, but like ladonazine, I think is the actual medicine. And then... I don't know how it works. But anyway, everything said both of those names. Okay. Whatever it means. <laughs> Pharmaceutical shit be beyond my pay grade. <laughs> they also found atricurium, which is um, a muscle relaxer used during surgery mm. and in his system. And so they said that with those medications, it basically creates like a total paralysis of your heart and lungs. And so without wow. life support that you would get in surgery... It, it'll kill you, yeah. you know, within minutes. And so, Couldn't she think of something else that wouldn't be so easily found? You'd think. So they're like, okay, clearly these drugs would act so quickly that there's no way he could have injected himself. Right. And so that, you know, the law enforcement official that was interviewed in this, which I will say, I found out today that I didn't know this, but that I know one of the law enforcement officers who worked this case they didn't get a lot of the credit that was deserved. One law enforcement official kind of took credit for it. So oh. it was well spread out among law enforcement. So I'm never, I'm not going to name anybody's names. Okay. Uh, because I think that it, I don't want one person to get the credit. Yeah. So they're like, okay, clearly somebody cleaned this up because he could not have inject him, injected himself and then gotten rid of the, the syringes. You yeah. Know? And so they're like, it's a homicide because clearly somebody cleaned it up. They also discovered a piece of paper that every year on May 1st, David Stevens would get his a letter from his MetLife pension. Okay. And on the letter, you either checked, checked one of two boxes, that you wanted the option to cash out or that if you, or you wanted to decline the cash out. So if he were to cash out, it would be a million dollars in his pension. And so, again, every year on May 1st, he gets that letter. He always checks, don't cash out. Right. Well, in 2001, the detective notices that his signature was on the form, but the cash out box was signed. And the form was dated April 30th, the day before his death. Oh, Ferk. And on that, so on that April 30th, MetLife had not even mailed out the form yet. So she had the form. Damn. Had him sign it to cash it out the day before he died, also the day before MetLife had even sent it out. Wow. So, of course, the detectives are like, somebody wants this money. Somebody is, somebody's in on this. Right. So, of course, you know, who are you looking at? Who was with him? Exactly. So, Stephanie copes with grief, much like her deceased husband, and moves on quickly. Oh, fuck. So, she ends up, within a year, marrying their handyman, 
Chris Watts. Suspicious. So in the in June of 2002, so this is, you know, month and like a year and a month later, she's remarried and she gets an $80,000 annuity. She spent that in 4 weeks. What? $80,000. That's more than we make in a year. Right? So Stephanie's like, yeah, my behavior is reckless, but I was so upset. And that behavior actually shows how devastated I am oh, and not wow. how she said that the guy that she married, the handyman guy, that it was a bad decision. He was into drugs. He was milking her for money. And she was like, I got myself tangled up into that by my own bad judgment. I do want to say that another article I found said that his MetLife insurance like pension thing was only for only use that term loosely for seven hundred and thirty two thousand and so I just again one says like seven hundred thousand one said a million yeah it's a little detail but I want to make sure that you know given all the facts yes okay so on January in January of two thousand three the Forest County Grand Jury decided to indict Stephanie for the murder of her husband okay. There was a shit ton of, like, publicity around the trial. I mean, he was a highly prominent cardiovascular surgeon in right. the area of, what, 10 cardiovascular surgeons right. in this area. I mean, we don't—I mean, Hattiesburg isn't small. I mean, our hospital is a level 2 trauma center. Yeah. I mean, and I think the only reason why it's not level 1 is because a med school is not attached to it, but I could be wrong. I want to say— yeah. When I was in college and I worked there, I found that out at orientation. <laughs> but like this is, you know, it's a it's a top hospital. Yeah. So there's a shit ton. Again, it's salacious too. It's a physician yeah. who had an affair with a nurse whose wife died of suicide slash accidental death. Yeah. Who then married and now he's dead and she's indicted in his murder. Yeah. It's very salacious. So And got with their handyman. Yeah. Yeah. So, they had to do a change of venue, and so they brought in jurors from DeSoto County to Hattiesburg for, okay. the, for the thing. So, during a pretrial hearing, it was announced that CBS wanted to cover the courtroom proceedings because they wanted to do a documentary on the case. At the time, neither counsel, state, nor her defense attorneys objected to the presence of the media. The trial lasted seven days. There were like 20 witnesses, tons of different, you know, Good exhibits Lord. and all of that. And then on September 15, 2003, she was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in prison in the Mississippi Department of Corrections. So, then here comes the drama. So, she tried to say later that the, the fact that a national news, there was national news coverage and cameras in the trial tainted the jury oh lord meanwhile she said it was fine they neither yeah. none of them objected that was like a i don't know how you want to say it but she was trying to get yeah. out of it because she's saying oh well the jury was tainted because of all yeah. of this so basically she said that because it she had to prove that the that the cameras there created an error in trial and okay. she was saying that there was cameras placed directly behind the jury box I said jury box. I was going to say juror and jury together. <laughs> jury box. And that the lens of the camera, like, actually hung over the back rail of the jury box above the heads. And so she was saying that 
basically there, she just they, they identified where all the cameras were and that basically it was distracting and it was all mm-hmm. those things. So obviously she fails to dim- fails to show that the cameras were intrusive and so that's all. So basically, her defense was through the corpus delicti, saying that I'm probably not saying that rightly. Right, rightly. <laughs> I'm not saying corpus delictly, delictly, rightly. God dang it. I really suck at words. But so basically they're saying that there's no evidence of a crime. Like there's no evidence that she actually is the one that put the medicine in the vials because they cited a study, I believe it was by Harvard, that said that the medicines that he had, he would have actually had several minutes to, like, dispose of things and that kind of thing. So he would have had time to kill himself. And then, like, they presented an evidence. I mean, they presented a witness that said that her name was Karen, and she said that her husband, she and her husband, went to Vegas with Stephanie and her then-fiancé, Christopher Watts, to be witnesses at their right wedding and that while they were there and on the way that that stephanie told karen that david wanted to die and asked stephanie to help him oh gosh and said that stephanie injected him with the two sedatives and a heart medication and that and so basically they're saying that with the corpus delicti just that confession supposed confession isn't enough to show that she did it. Like there has to be corroborating evidence. And so they were saying that there's not enough proof to charge her with this. But of course they said that that's not fucking right because Stephanie was along with David behind a locked bedroom door prior to his death, you know, and that the housekeeper said that, She had heard David snoring at one point that morning, but then approximately an hour later, everything was silent. And then, obviously, the crime lab said, no, it was the atricurium or whatever that medicine was in his system. So, it was just, like, all this evidence, like, you know, the drugs were accessible to her at the hospital where she used to work. Yeah. She, as a nurse, understood the drugs and what they were used for and David's insulin pump and all this stuff. And so it was like, no, there's plenty of evidence. Yes. And so basically all that stands, she's still convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. I also want to point out that the jury only deliberated for 90 minutes. Wow. When they found her, you know, guilty, sentenced to life in prison. Stephanie, as part of her thing, she not eligible parole for 30 years. So the most recent update on the story is October 14th, 2006. Stephanie was taken to the hospital from prison, and she died of double pneumonia. Oh, shit. They said that she had been sick for a few years, and that that day she had been brought to the hospital from prison. And died. So she was 38. And when she killed David Stevens, he was 59. Wow. Yeah. Fuck. So that is the story about the nurse who killed her husband, who was a physician. 
Wow. I know. You don't remember that? No. Golly. I've watched The Snapped on that like eight times. <laughs> <laughs> the Snapped came out in 2005, I think. I think I already said that. But. Yeah. And I'm, there may have been a 48 hours about it. I know that that was what the um, cameras and stuff in the trial were recording. But anyway. Wow. So that's her. That's crazy. And I know we learned that karma is not like what we think, but hearing this, all I want to say is karma is a, a bitch. Because it got, they all got got. Yeah. And, well, and the thing is, though, is that, you know, he was sick. She could have waited it out. Yeah. You know? Well, and two, like, I'm not saying kill people, but if you're a nurse, don't do it with highly. Traceable medicine, yes, mm-hmm. like that. No one else could really get besides being in a hospital, right? And you're alone with him, mm-hmm. and all of this. like, come on, yep, girl, watch some TV, ID, snapped, listen to our podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll give you deets, yes, not saying to commit murder, but if you're going to, no, I'm just kidding, no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't do it. We're just telling you you're stupid for how you did it. Right. That could be our number one of what <laughs> of what did we learn. That could be number one. I'm going to need you to stop fucking telling us these stories. Shit that's going to cause shit to happen. Yeah. The computer's jacking up. Yes. And. No more stories. No. I know. <laughs> no I'm more all- stories of things that continue to fuck you up after you hear it. I'm sorry. I'm going to take a break because. I learned my lesson tonight. Number three. When a relationship begins in deception, mm-hmm. it's probably not going to change. Yeah. Whether it's infidelity, whether it's how much money you make, what your job is. I mean, you know, I had a friend that was dating a guy and said he was and he said he was an engineer and made it sound like he had his master's degree in engineering and all this stuff and ended up he had his associate's degree in something of course I can't remember that he was able to do engineering work but he wasn't like officially an engineer which would have been completely okay if he would have been upfront about it but he made it out to be that he was an actual engineer yeah you know that he had that that he had a master's degree. And not that a degree matters. My point is that he lied. Yeah. It doesn't matter. She would have been happy with him either way. A, yeah. n- no college education or a doctorate. Yeah. He just wasn't honest. And so right. that was the, it's the lie, not the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's like on Catfish when they honestly think that, okay, I'm ready to come clean. Mm-hmm. Because they love me enough no. that they're going to do it. No, you lied. like From the start. So, like, literally the whole thing is a lie. Yes. So, stuff like these stupid little movies that make it sound like, you know, because you get invested in the, the character that's doing mm-hmm. She's the man. It's our favorite fucking movie. Yes. But it is all from a lie. Yes. And so, it's like you want Channing Tatum to love... Amanda Bonds. Uh-huh. And it's like, but it's all a lie. Yes. 
And so it's like that. That's my thing. So a relationship that begins with deception is doomed. Yeah, it's not going to end well. Again, and it doesn't matter from where the deception's coming from. Right. That is right. So just be on the up and up. Mm-hmm. Always be paranoid. Yeah. A little paranoia is good for you. A little paranoia, you know, it just makes the gut hurt a little bit. <laughs> Gives you a little anxiety, a little worry. I mean, it just, uh, what did you say? It reinforces your core. What did you say you had to do? Kegel exercises? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. When you said I have to something in my core. I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, where you engage my core. Like, oh. it just causes you to engage your core. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, shed a little bit. Keep everything in nice and tight. Mm-hmm. Not quite as jiggly. <laughs> Maybe a bowl full of pudding, not jello. <laughs> oh, gosh. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get, get scared. scared.